announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. <laughs> the whole world is a stage now. Man, we look good up there. We're styling, man. We don't have to sneak around anymore. We don't have to hide in the shadows. The NWO. Way to go, guys. We are the champions of the world. We've got the NWO belt. <laughs> we left the giant land, and now the whole WCW is going to fall at our feet. We hit a home run after I beat that big, nasty giant to the WCW belt and turned it into our belt, you know? The NWO belt, he was crying. And then a couple days later, I beat the so-called dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> he was crying too. The WCW, the world crybaby wrestlers, doesn't work anymore. In war games with the WCW's finest, the so-called establishment of the WCW. In the cage with us, brother. Sting will be stung. Woo! All my little stingers. Just doesn't work anymore. Luger will be hung. Flair won't even be there. Woo! In styling and profiling, you shouldn't brag about that. And Arn won't be Arn anymore, brother. Because the NWO will take care of all the NWO business on that day. You should get a change with the times, man. But when we get you in the cage, brothers, we're gonna bring you up to speed, just like my two friends brought me up to speed. I know what works now. You gotta take what you want. You gotta bond together for business reasons only. <laughs> Sting, Luger, Arn, and Flair. The way you guys bonded, the way you guys made a deal, it was touching. <laughs> it made me cry a little bit. But it was real. Real weak. I mean, to see you guys out there appeasing each other, talking about what you'd been through together, about the old days in the WCW. Well, you know what? Times have changed. What you gonna do in war games when the NWO destroys you? Anything less would be civilized. <laughs> the preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Stephen Gedney is from Woodland, California, broadcasting live from a pre-recorded session via Carmichael, California. Uncle Steve is a bigger weirdo. Are we on the Stephen Gedney podcast? We are on the podcast. <laughs> Same bad time, same bad time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because... Arrive by Turkey. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know what you're talking about. I'm feeling you all... Steven will definitely not work. <laughs> this is your number 97 source for movies, music, comic books, geek culture, life lessons, philosophy, Stories of rock and roll, drugs, alcohol, and everything in between. Come one and come all. Enter the SDP. You're listening to the Stephen Gedney Podcast. <laughs> Perfect.
That's perfect. Ain't nobody got time for that. Hey everybody, there you go. That's my new, brand new, just for you intro. How'd you like it? I hope you like it because that's how it's gonna be from now on. Thank you for joining me. This is episode 18 on August 17th, 2015. And this is gonna be a special two-parter, which I like to call Complete Discography. And this is part one. So, what is a discography? Well, just to break it down, take a band like The Beatles, The Eagles, The Rolling Stones, The Used, Glass Jaw, Social Distortion, whatever. Those are all the bands that I can just think of off the top of my head. A complete discography is a list of all their albums, all their singles, all their B-sides, recordings, and unreleased stuff that they ever did. That is a discography, and this is my discography. So part one, I'm going to play you a bunch of stuff from my past. You know, I started out playing in bands. You know, before I was even in a band, I would just jam and try to record shit. First with this dude named Art. We had a little tape deck, a little boombox. In my room on College Street, he'd bang on this little snare drum. I'd try to play guitar. Didn't know how to tune it. Didn't know how to play. I blew out my first amp, little Rogue Combo amp. Got from Musician's Friend. Then later when we got our gateway computer, the first desktop... Uh, I used to try to record with the little microphone that it came with, the vocal mic. It wasn't even like, you know, the microphones that you sing karaoke with. This was like one of those tiny little things, not meant for music whatsoever. So I tried to do that kind of stuff with my buddy Mark. You know, we had our fake little quote-unquote band, Dark Resin, which later became Conversion. And then after that... uh uh, I plugged my amp into the back of the sound card and blew it out. Uh, so, anyways, this is just uh, an evolution, you know. The earliest recordings that I did, the songs aren't necessarily that great, you know. And uh, I, the first band that I think uh, ever took off was called Purple Cheese, and it was only for a few months, but it was uh, two of the guys in the band I played with for a very, very, very long time, and that is... Justin Pertzer and Justin Keith, the double Justin Combustion, JK and JP. And uh, that was it, Purple Cheese. We never recorded anything officially, although we did play a show. And um, What I want to do is take some audio from one of the uh, the shows that we played and do something with it. Oh, I got a dog messing with the mic stand. She probably has to go potty. So anyways, uh, after... Purple Cheese kind of broke up. Me and Andrew, the other guitarist, we tried to record some stuff. And this is the first song and the only song. And this is, never mind the quality, this is the one and, one and only song from ADEX Facility. Don't even know what the, uh, what the name of the band is all about. And it's an instrumental and it's called Small Time Villain or Small Town Villain. One of the two. But here you go. This is the, I guess, the first official recording that uh, I'm willing to let you guys hear. So here you go, ADEX facility.
So yeah, there you go. That was Adex Facility, the one and only song that we recorded. And this was the summer of 2002, between the time of Purple Cheese and Drive-By Turkey, when I was hanging out with Andrew, and he had a girlfriend at the time. And, you know, the reason Purple Cheese kind of broke up in the first place had to do mostly with teenagers and girlfriends and people not liking each other and that kind of thing. But... The Andrew uh, band just never panned out, and I started talking to JP again, you know, over the internet, talking on the phone, and we decided to get a band back together, and uh, that was Drive-By Turkey. So I started going over to his house. He lived on Falcon in Woodland, California, out on the edge of town, and I had my little Fender bass amp. He had his crate amp, you know, I think it was two 12-inch speakers, and we just started jamming and making this music together, you know, uh, once or twice a week. Get together, jam, get that shit done, write it, do some stuff that we'd never done before, and then bring it to JK. And then uh, just out of nowhere, the songs came together pretty quickly, and uh, we ended up recording a whole album. And I talked about it on the previous podcast, but how we did it was we set up a video camera, we all faced the video camera, played all the songs, and then took the audio and put it onto a CD, split it into, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 tracks. So I'm going to play a couple songs from the very first Drive-By Turkey album. Actually, the only Drive-By Turkey album, because after that, we changed our name to Gifted Allies. And I'll get to that later, but here is uh, some underappreciated DBT songs. So the first one's going to be Peener Loaf, then it will be Overcome, and then uh, the last one will be a little surprise. So here you go. Here's some more of my selected discography. Yeah. 
So yeah, that was Drive By Turkey. Three songs from the first Listen album. And as of right now, it's the only Listen. This was the fall of 2002. We were all in high school. We played one show at Woodland High. It was never captured on film, but we do have a few photos. And it was pretty cool, man. It was fun. We rocked out. From what I remember, we played a, a Green Day cover and a Weezer cover, and they didn't go down very well. But people will always remember Drive By Turkey for one reason or another. Then it was about the uh, beginning of 2003, and I want to say that I was the one who pushed this, but I felt like, hey man, if we're going to get out there and we want to be more serious, we need to change our name, because Drive-By Turkey is too silly. And, uh, you know, I've seen videos of myself back then, and I was just fucking too big for my britches, I was just too silly. Uh, I thought I was serious, I wanted to be taken seriously, and... You know, I kind of just forgot about the whole thing of uh, having fun. So, anyways, we settled on the name Gifted Allies like the night before our next show in February of 2003, which was at Woodland High School. We had uh, gone through a few different names, and we actually were going to make a sign, like a big sign to hang behind us. And uh, it was going to be Solid State Generation. I don't know why. JP liked Solid State Generator. I said Generation. Either way, it didn't really roll off the tongue as well as it should have. But uh, that sheet ended up going in the trash. We bought another sheet, got a uh, can of white spray paint, and gifted allies, and that was it. And uh, some people didn't want to accept the new name. They still called us Drive-By Turkey. And in a lot of ways, we were still the same band. I mean, we had the same members and all that stuff, but... I don't know, maybe the uh, music was a little bit uh, more refined, a little bit more mature in just like a four or five month period. You know, we definitely aged a little bit. And also the music that both JP and I were listening to were a, a lot different than what we had beforehand. You know, JK was the drummer. He's just going to go along to whatever we play. But, you know, before... Uh, before, you know, between the the time of Purple Cheese and Drive-By Turkey, you know, I had started getting in, started getting into pop punk and, and metal and new metal and Ozfest type shit. And uh, JP was into different bands like Silverchair and Failure. And then right around 2003, the end of 2002, beginning of 2003, we started listening to a lot of the emo, screamo, uh, metalcore type bands, so stuff like Glassjaw, Thrice, and Atreyu started making their way into our music, as well as CKY, which was probably uh, our number one influence at the time. And you can definitely hear it on these two songs. So this was uh, these two songs are from the Gifted Allies demo, and we used to rent a room from this building called the Porter Building, a historic, you know landmark in woodland downtown and uh they used to rent out rooms to bands and the guy who was the manager he was like a crackhead or something because i remember one time uh my mom and jp's mom and and all of us we went up there to try to get a room from this guy and he answered the door and he was being really really freaking weird and it's funny too because this building was like right next to the police station in woodland at the time but that's neither here or there. We ended up renting the room, doing a lot of jamming. There was a few other bands in the 
building that we would go check out. Uh, there was one with uh, uh, Melba Toast, I think, the guys from high school. They didn't jam very often. There was a few older guys, one that had like two drum sets in it, you know. And uh, there was a guy from high school, I believe his name was Mike Jakes, and he had a little digital recorder. It was, a, I, I want to say it was a Tascam. And uh, he came and recorded us. We plugged everything into the powered PA mixer that we had at the time and uh, recorded three, three and a half songs. And the song in the middle, which was Suckfest, ended up clipping. So we couldn't save it. We couldn't put it online, which kind of sucked. But later we recorded many, many, many versions of that song. But the other two songs, which you're about to hear, are Paint and Push and Impotent Elephant Tea Party. Both songs that, um, you know, maybe uh, vocally or performance-wise were not the greatest, but musically, I think we were uh, ahead of our time. (laughs) I don't think we ever made anything as original sounding since then. I mean, we definitely all evolved as musicians and better players, but these two songs, uh, that. We made them up before we kind of knew what we were doing. You know, we didn't know about notes and and music theory, harmonies, you know, guitar and vocal harmonies, that kind of thing. And these were just, you know, just looking at the fretboard and playing the notes. So here you go. I'm going to play Paint and Push, and then I'm going to play Impotent Elephant Tea Party from the Gifted Allies Demo 2003. Here you go. Don't often show. Fucking 
you know, those two songs, they really mean a lot to me because of the time period, because of all the stuff that I was going through at the time. It was a very interesting part of my life. And uh, credit must be uh, given to another band called Nebulous, which was a unknown band. They were kind of known in the Bay Area, but that was about it. I had first discovered them because, you know, I was a Limp Biscuit fan, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, their guitarist, Wes Borland, had ended up leaving the band, and uh, he was starting a new one called Eat the Day, and so I would go on this website and check out new updates from Eat the Day, the band, and they had a message board, and for one reason or another, I ended up finding this guy um, named Sam, who was also on the message board, he was also a fan of West Borland, and uh, I found a few songs from his band, uh, Nebulous, and checked him out and started talking to him online, and kind of, I wouldn't say I copied them directly, but they were definitely an influence on me, and uh, one of the, I think the first um, local band show that I ever went to, and uh, JP's girlfriend at the time had taken us down there, and we watched uh, Nebulous and another band called Traced, and there was another band called Downside, later Strata, and they all played at a place called The Gaslighter in Campbell, California, which doesn't exist anymore. But that was a, yeah, like I said, it was a huge influence on me and uh, shaped what I wanted to do, and uh, I liked I liked everything about it, so... Anyways, Gifted Allies, uh, they ended up breaking up, uh, as I said on a previous podcast. (laughs) Um, Shit just didn't go well, and JK left the band, and he ended up playing with some other guys in a band called Factor Non Verba, and then our band never really took off. We got a new drummer, and this guy was a weirdo, plus he couldn't even really play, so uh, at the end of 2003, I ended up moving to Oregon. And uh, for 10 months, I lived up there and got my first job. Still played guitar, tried to play with some bands. And uh, there was a couple guys that I had met online. I don't remember. It was from one of those online music websites. Maybe it was Guitar Center. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was MySpace. But found some guy. Man, his name was uh, Nick. Nick DeLeon, I think. And then he found a guy named Kevin who was a drummer. And they were both uh, students at the University of Oregon. And, uh, yeah, we tried to start this band, but it was like this. You know, all of us were kind of good players. Uh, Their drummer, not so much uh, as, like, say, me and the bass player. But none of us knew how to lead a band. None of us really knew how to start a band, really. We had three four practices but we did do a little recording and uh the two songs that i'm about to play from you they're from our band aka mescalis or mescalis and uh they kind of planted the seeds to what was later to become laid to rest so i'm gonna play you two instrumentals from two guys uh that i haven't seen or talked to since 2004 so here you go i'm gonna play these for you right now Thank you. 
You know what's funny is I know that that's me playing guitar on those two songs, but I don't know that guy at all. I think during that time, 2004, living in Oregon, man, I was just so just, I don't know. I don't know who I was. I was still trying to figure out who I was. I was 18. I was 18 years old. Can you believe that shit? So anyways, uh, I was talking to my mom and talking to JP and just decided that I didn't want to live up there anymore. I wanted to come back and, and try it again. You know, I missed my friends. I missed my family. And uh, there was good and bad that came out of that decision. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was the best decision for me to make. And I learned a lot from it. And uh, we got our next band going. So I uh, got a job at Target and I met this guy named Eric. And Eric was a cool dude. He liked a lot of metal, Metallica, Megadeth, Testament, Slayer, everything that you can think of. <laughs> and uh, he said that he was a singer and his brother was a drummer. And me and JP were both jamming. And we started jamming together. But Eric just never really caught on as far as the singer. But... His brother, Drew, Andrew, was like, dude, I still want to play in a band. If he can't get his stuff together, then whatever. I, 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 I just want to play with you guys. And so we started uh, Laid to Rest, which was originally just the three of us, JP, me, and uh, Drew. And I was on guitar, and JP was on bass. But then JP later started doing uh, a second guitar part as well. So, uh, yeah. It was good stuff, man. Like, that band lasted maybe uh, a year and a half, almost two years. And we ended up doing a lot of recording because Drew's dad, Ralph, was also a musician. He had all sorts of music equipment throughout his house. Pedals, guitars, basses, drums, you know, hand drums, uh vocal effects and then he had a whole recording system with pro tools and an apple computer and expensive keyboards and so we we learned a lot in that time period we uh we learned what to do and what not to do because uh, our songs we just threw everything in but the kitchen sink you know our songs weren't um necessarily a long flowing uh kind of groove it was more like just a attack after attack after attack and you know, you, I don't know. I mean, Laid to Rest was awesome. <laughs> you know, it was what it was. And uh, it was probably uh, my best guitar playing that I ever did. I don't think I've ever tried to play anything as technical since then. And uh, the vocals were all right. You know, it was, a, it was a learning process. It was a learning curve. And um, I'm going to play, I don't know, here's four or five laid to rest songs just to encapsulate uh what the band was all about so here you go ltr 2005 to 2006 Oh, 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 oh. 
Yeah, trippy shit from laid to rest. We were a rock band, we were a metal band, and we were an experimental band. We played a few shows, but alas, all good things must come to an end. And then Drew ended up meeting his future wife on a field trip through high school, and they've been together ever since. But that left us out of a drummer, and for some reason, we ended up hooking back up with JK and... Our mutual friend Ian McCandless and we started uh, same time and same time was the band that was arguably the most successful the most progressive and the longest lasting of any of the bands that we had up until that point and so I am going to close this part one episode with more music so here are the first um Three or four songs from same time, and then episode two, we're just going to be jam-packed with all sorts of same time music, but here's some good old rock and roll from 2007 and on. Yeah. 